where the things that you do in that moment of time have repercussions that go on far beyond that particular moment. And this whole season has been like that for a ch- as for, for that's, that whole season has been this whole season we're in has been such a moment the last three weeks. But this morning, and what happens over the next 40 minutes is the close of that season. What we give corporately this morning will have echoes through the coming months and years. Bringing not just a blessing for now or the next few months, but bringing a blessing for future generations. The building we're sat in now, that we enjoy now, that we don't really think very much about, the thing we take for granted every single week, whether it's early Sunday mornings at 7 o'clock, whether it's an alpha course on a Thursday evening, whether it's linked lunch on a Thursday lunchtime, all of it we're able to do so relatively easily because 20 years ago, at a moment just like this, people gave amazingly generously and enabled us to do it. And we're in another moment because God wants to propel us into what he's got in the coming years. And I pray that you won't miss this opportunity to be involved. I know there's still, there's still a good minority of you that haven't yet decided. You've probably come prepared with your pledge forms ready to put them in. But for some of you, life's just busy. It's, it's missed you. It's gone past you by. What I'd say is, don't miss this morning. The benefit to us corporately as a church will be massive, but the benefit to you personally and the blessing you will receive personally will also be just as tangible. As you buy in, as you step up and say, yeah, I'm in. I'm not just in with a bit of praying, I'm not just in coming on a Sunday morning, I'm in because I've parted with something out of my bank account. It, it does something in your heart. And I don't, I don't want any of you to miss it. it. Will it cost you? Well, of course it's money. Of course it'll cost you. And, and will it hurt? Probably. But the benefit both more broadly for the church as a whole and for you individually, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced will be, will be massive. This morning we're looking then at Jesus, incomparable or irrelevant. And last time we looked, we looked at, do you remember, we looked at Mary pouring out the, uh, the perfume on Jesus' feet, and we looked at this amazing act of worship. This morning we're moving on to John chapter 13, and we're looking at where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's a bit of an odd story, really. You think, towards the end of Jesus' life, is this, does this really hold true? Is it, is it really worth putting in there? But I think there are some really important lessons for us to understand, and for, for some things for us to grasp. John chapter 13, and I think the words will come up behind me. We're going to read verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover feast. So when the perfume was broken over Jesus' feet, it was Saturday night. This is now Thursday night. Within 24 hours, Jesus will have been crucified on the cross. His earthly life will have finished. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. 
The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise... You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, he returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. Lord, I thank you for your presence with us as we had breakfast. I thank you for the privilege of just being able to eat together and, and, and do church, be church. Lord, I thank you for your presence with us as we worship. Lord, we, we, love, we love being with you. And Lord, I ask as I, pray, as I preach this morning, would you please anoint and help me to communicate well. And I pray would we have open and receptive hearts. We pray, Holy Spirit, would you own it all we ask. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just a few sort of foundational truths before we get stuck in and we look at application. Um, and the first one is, this story demonstrates the depths of Christ's love for his disciples, but it also communicates the depths of his love for us. He says this in verse 1, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Or if you've got the NIV Bible, if you look at the footnote, it says, Or he loved them to the last. It's interesting that Christ chose to do this in the last few hours of his life. In a few moments he was going to break bread, they were going to have wine together. He was going to do a bit more teaching on the Holy Spirit and some different things like that. He was going to pray. But he wanted to put this this expression, this demonstration of his love in for his disciples, just these 12 other men who were with him. It, It stands out. Later he's going to express his love with the ultimate sacrifice. He's going to stretch out his hands and nails are going to be driven through them as he pays the price for our sin. But but, but now, on this evening, he demonstrates the depths of his love in a different way, in a very mundane and menial task. And both are there. Both have their place. You can express your love in a real big sacrificial way, but you can also express your love just through through everyday service, which is what Jesus Jesus chooses to do here. 
You know, he could have gone and preached with his last evening, he could have gone and preached, he could have gone and healed loads of sick people, he chose to spend it with his 12 disciples and demonstrate sacrificial love. It's interesting as well that even after three years of being with them, he still doesn't think they've got it. You know, he's been with them for three years, he's lived with them. He's demonstrated and spoken about love. He's done Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's done all of that stuff, but, but there's still something missing. They still haven't quite got it. And it's a lesson that he doesn't want to leave this world having not reinforced, having not taught again. He wants to communicate how much he loves them. How precious they are to him. How highly he values them. Have you ever thought that? That's what he says. That's why he washed his disciples' feet. He wanted to demonstrate his great love for them. And that great love for them is no different than his great love for us. What makes this demonstration even more incredible is within a few hours, all 12 of them are going to betray him. And he knew they were. He gets down on his knees, I guess, and washes the grime and the filth and the muck off each of their feet. He goes from one to the next to the next. As he looks up at them, he probably knows in his mind, you're going to betray me in three hours, you're off. In my greatest need, when I most need you, you you, you won't be here for me. He got to Judas. He didn't ignore Judas, he got to Judas. What did he do? He knelt down, he washed the muck and the grime and the dust and the sweat off Judas's feet, knowing that within a few hours he was going to get sold out for about £6,000. Judas, it says, doesn't it, in verse 2, the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. And yet he still demonstrates his great love for those 12 men, in spite of the fact they were about to betray him and run away. Whether, whether a big betrayal, I guess like Judas, or a smaller betrayal, you run away because you're fearful. Either way, he knows what's going to happen and he demonstrates in a very practical way how much he loves them. In all their frailty, in all of their failings, Jesus communicates, I love you so much and I express that in humble service. J.C. Ryle, I've got three of his quotes in this week. Soon I'm just going to read a chapter of his book. That's where I'm heading. The love of Christ to sinners is the very essence and marrow of the Gospel. Christ loves sinners. He loves the rebellious. He loves those who are far away. He loves those who aren't even searching him out. His heart is big. That's why it's so great what Ian and Bridget are doing. Why? Because they love sinners as well. He loves you. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul goes on to say, he says, he prays, he says, oh, that we... Yes, Oh, that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. Oh, that you would know this love of God that surpasses knowledge, that even in the filth of your sin, even through every mucky deed that you have trodden through, 
Every place your feet have taken you and you should not have gone. Every argument your feet took you into, Christ was willing to wash all the muck and the filth away from you. He'd sit down at your feet and wash away your sin and your muck and your mire. And Paul says, oh, that we would know the great depths of his love for us who are so mired in sin. Oh, that we need to know that love. It fuels our worship. You know, when Max leaves us, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. Why? Because, because I have been washed. I have been cleansed. I have been forgiven. And it was free. Absolutely free. It's wonderful. Oh, that we would know this love. Oh, that you would know the grace of God that is stronger than sin. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus is there washing the disciples' feet. He gets to Judas. Judas, who is caught up in sin and rebellion and greed. He is sat there. Oh, the strength of the sin that was gripping Judas. Oh, the grace of God that was demonstrated in Christ. That superabounded over any sin, over any rebellion. The grace of God is so much stronger. It says it in Romans chapter 5, it says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Or in the, an older translation it says, where sin abounded, grace superabounded. And we see that in this story as well. Sin in its darkest dirtiest form right in front of the face of Christ. Christ peering into all the disappointment, all the betrayal, all the loneliness that stood before him just before the cross. But grace superabounded over. It didn't matter what the sin was thrown at him. Christ, the power of God was greater. I, I, I can't quite get the words up. You know where I'm, where I'm going. In Hebrews, it says this, it says, For we do, not, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. When we face situations like that, when we face betrayal, when we face disappointment, when we face loneliness, just as Christ stared into it before the cross, when we face those things, we don't have a high priest, we don't have Jesus who's unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we, we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. And so we can come to our great high priest knowing he is there to help us. And if grace superabounded in that situation, it is the same for us. If you are peering down such disappointment, such heartache thinking, I don't know how I can go on. I want to tell you about one who has peered down the greatest disappointment, the biggest betrayal, but found the grace and the power of God and came through and conquered. He is our great high priest. He is the one we come to. He doesn't look from afar, but he comes close. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our trials. The second thing is we see, so we see the depth of his love for us and the grace available that is in Christ. We also see the depth of, uh, we see the depths of his humility. So if you read verses 3, 4 and 5, it, they don't fit together. 
It doesn't really make any sense because this is what it says. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God as, and was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What this passage tells us is that Jesus knew all things were under his power. Well, what, what does that mean? Does that just mean... I don't know. What, what, what does it mean, all things are under his power? Was Judas under his power? Were the Roman authorities under his power? Was just as Jesus spoke to the waves and they stilled, just as Jesus spoke to sickness and it fled, just as Jesus spoke to Lazarus and he came out from the grave, Jesus, the name above every other name, it says Jesus knew he had the name above every name and his response to that was to stand up, to take off, to wrap around, to pour out and to wash his disciples' feet. They say that power corrupts. Not with Jesus. He, he knew. He knew everything was under his power. It didn't turn him into some monster. Exactly, the exact opposite happened. He understood. He was going back to the Father. He'd come from the Father. He was going back to the Father. He showed them the full extent of his love. He humbled himself and he washed their feet. Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8 springs to mind. Now, Jesus Christ, who, in, who, in, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on the cross. I wonder when Paul wrote that in Philippians, whether he had this story in mind as he said it, as he thought about the heights of who Jesus Christ is and how he humbled himself and he humbled himself and he humbled himself. He didn't cling to his position but he expressed something of the heart and the love of God. He got up, he took off, he wrapped around, he poured out, he washed and he dried. Jesus chose the most menial, mundane, everyday activity to express his love and he demonstrated his humility. The maker of heavens and earth who was there at the beginning and said, let there be, washed the disciples' feet. What great humility. What about us? What about you? When you glimpse the depths of God's love, when you see how Jesus came down and down and down and down. He lowered himself and he lowered himself and he lowered himself in humility. In verses 13 and 14 it says this. It says, you call me, this is Jesus speaking, teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Jesus is, is using this illustration to communicate to his disciples, look, if I, your Lord and teacher, have done these things, how much more should you do them for one another? How much more should you do this? 
Another J.C. Ryle quote. If the only begotten Son of God, the King of Kings, did not think it beneath him to do the humblest work of a servant, there is nothing which his disciples should think themselves too great or too good to do. There there isn't anything. If our Lord and Saviour was willing to wash feet, there isn't anything that we shouldn't be willing to do for one another. The phrase you should, so if if you're in John 13, if you turn to verse... um, Uh, 14, it says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. That is a strong phrase. It doesn't come through in in, in the right strength in the NIV. Um, It's a strong word. Jesus is saying, it's your duty. It's your debt. You are under an obligation to do this. You think, that's not very gracious. Well, it's all right because I didn't write the Bible. I'm only telling you what it says. You're under an obligation. Did you know that? Jesus says, if I did this, you you have a duty, you have a debt, you're under an obligation. There's something of a powerful word. It's not just, I'll take it or leave it. I may do it, I may not. That, That wouldn't have crossed... Well, I don't think it would have crossed Christ's mind. Who am I to say what crossed his mind? But you know what I mean. It's not, it's not in that phrase there. It's, it's, there's a strength and there's a power to it. We are compelled to react in that way. And I think I just also want to just make a little side note here as well. This, this whole washing feet thing wasn't some religious practice they did at the time. It was just an everyday chore. Their feet should have been washed when they first entered the house. If they'd had a servant, it would have probably been the servant's role to do it. And if there isn't a servant there, probably the lowliest person among them would have washed feet. Actually, in this case, the greatest washed the feet of everyone else. Maybe they were all sat around thinking, oh, forget that, I'm washing his feet. Do you see what he trod in on the way here? He didn't see, I saw, I'm washing them. But gee, no. No, he, he, it was just, so it's not some religious odd expression. It was all right for Jesus. It had, you know, it was it was some great religious thing. No, it was just an everyday thing. And just another little note, because I think in, in in the day we live in, you hear a lot about these things, and none of these things are wrong. But I will pop it in there anyway, just for you to ponder. You hear a lot about things like, "What's my gift mix? Am I called to this? Has God spoken for me to do this?" Now, any of those things are, are right in their place. But there's an awful lot more in the Bible about sacrificial service than there is about do I feel God calling me to something. And I think in our culture, it fits very naturally on us to think what is God calling me to? What's my purpose? How am I going to be fulfilled in this area of service? None of it wrong. But there's echoes from what you hear everywhere else in that. You don't hear much about actually I'm going to lay my life down for my brother. I'm going to get there early and play much more of a part than I need to. Why? Because, because, because I love the church and I, I just want to be involved. I want to make a difference. I want to serve in love. And I think, church, we do just need to be a little bit careful that we don't get so caught up on ourselves. Has God called me to it? When actually there's just a need. And it's your privilege to serve and get stuck in and make a difference. Now, some of you may not like what I'm saying, but that's all right. Over time, you'll come to understand that's what the Bible teaches. It's, it's, it's how we are. That's, that's, that's Christian faith. That's what it is to be a disciple. I'm following Jesus and I'm loving my brother and sister. That's, that's how it goes. 
we need to stand up and set aside a t- set, setting aside time. We need to take off pride. We need to tie humility around our waist. We need to pour out our own agenda. We need to wash others' feet in service. And we need to dry them off with excellence. Not because we want to be excellent, but because if we love someone, we want to do it as well as we possibly can. It's just a natural outworking of it. And uh, uh, J.C. Ryan, my third and final quote, says, "Our, Our Lord would have us love others so much that we should delight to do anything which can promote their happiness. Let me read that again. Our Lord would have us love others so much that we should delight to do anything which can promote their happiness. Does that reflect your heart? Do you love others in the church? It's not predominantly talking about those not in the church. It's talking about our brothers and sisters. Do you love the church so much that you would do anything, you would delight to do anything which will promote others' happiness? You know what he's saying. You know where he's coming from on this. And verse 17, where Jesus just, in a sense, if he's popped the knife in the back of the disciples, I don't know if this is the right phrase, but you know where I'm going with it. This is a bit of a twist at the end. He says, in verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He says it, not me. You'll be blessed if you do them. You won't be blessed because you know it. You're blessed because you do it. And so much of the New Testament is about that. What about us here at King's Church? What's our application? Well, the first application, I think, is we need a foot washing team. So if any of you are interested in going on a six-week training course to learn how to wash people's feet, what to do with athletes' foot and verrucas and those sorts of things, you can sign up at the information desk at the end. We're happy to take them. Now, clearly that isn't, you know, we're not going to have a row of bowls on a Sunday morning. You cannot come in unless we've washed your feet. It's our opportunity to express love to you. It's, that, that's not the application, you'll be pleased to know. That would be a hard team to recruit for, I'm sure. But it's something of the spirit of the action that we need to bring into everything we do, isn't it? Whether, whether you're car parking mega-mixing, coffee-teaming, collecting the offering. What we're doing as we do that, we're serving each other. We're we're playing our part. We're we're standing up and saying, actually, I'd rather get out of bed half an hour later and come to church, just roll in five past ten, just join the worship. I really don't want to join a stewarding or car park team. I've got to be there far too early. And I'm certainly not joining the setup team. Why? Because I've got to get there... 12 hours early. I'm, 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 I'm arriving the night before to set other chairs. I, I, no, I, I couldn't possibly do that. Because it doesn't fit with my agenda. It's going to put me to a bit of displeasure, a bit of pain. It might interrupt my, what, what I've got going on. Say, so, no, that's so far. That's so far from, from, from what this is about here. It's our delight to serve one another. It's not something we do as we... You know, I'm, you know, cool, you don't look very happy. You know, well, I've had to get here early to serve, haven't I? You know, oh. It's a delight to serve. It's a delight to serve one another. To express your love for one another in what you're doing. I've mentioned a couple of times in the last few months about children's teams. We need more people. I want to thank you for those of you who have stepped up and said you're going to do it. 
we need more people. This morning, we've got four people on the team, four adults on the team, plus Stuart and Gemma, and they wouldn't want me to say it, who have been out there for the last six weeks. Dads, it is your responsibility to raise your children. You should be the first to be out there getting involved because it's part of how you are raising your children. Only one Sunday a month. It is your delight to serve the church in that way. But it's the same with car park team or set up team. Mike, every week? Mike, every week putting chairs out. So some of you are freeloading at the moment. You're getting the privilege to be here for free while others are working really, really hard to make it a joy for you. That needs to change. And as God sends more and more people to us, we can't expect them to get here and put the chairs out. Therefore, us who have been around for a while need to work even harder. And it's our privilege and it's our joy to serve in that way. Amen? Now, I know some of you won't like me at the end of this word, but I'm about to go on a week's holiday, so you'll have forgotten by the time I come back. (laughs) Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What about Hastings? What about this town we're looking to reach? What about this town we're looking to serve? I thought this was, this was quite a profound thing and I've absolutely ripped it off from someone else. Fallen men and women may not understand great doctrines, but they do understand genuine love and humility. They may not understand great doctrines of salvation or predestination or the Trinity or any of those things, but if they encounter genuine love and humility it will grip them. Now, I know I'm preaching to the converted. I know there are hundreds of you who have laid down your lives time after time after time for this church. But as the Apostle Paul said on a number of occasions in the New Testament, it's good for me to remind you of these things so you do not forget. And also, some of you may have stepped out of being involved because you want to break, and that is right but I want to encourage you, don't leave it too long before you get involved again. And I know there are many, many of you, maybe up up to 100 or so, who you're here right now and you've not heard any of this, you're newer along here, we need you. God's got great plans for us as a church, he's got great purposes for this town, we'll only do it as we all step together. Whether it's in giving money or giving time and service, all of them are a massive privilege to be able to be involved in God's plans and purposes. But it does take that decision, that stepping up. If you are feeling a bit challenged from this morning and you want to know what to do, head to the information desk. They will not be expecting you. But head to the information desk and just ask. They've put your name down and we can send you a serving form showing all the different areas where you can serve. And you can tick it, send it back and we can look to plug you in somewhere. It is your privilege, it is your delight to be able to serve in this way. Let's stand on our feet, we're going to pray and then we're going to uh, finish with a couple of songs. Oh Lord, we we thank you for your great mercy and grace to us. Lord, anything we give to you is just such a small offering in comparison to all you've already given to us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would um, just work in our hearts. Lord, for, for those that 
are already so involved already. And probably at this point are thinking, oh, could I do more? I ask you, Lord, they would be completely released from any of that obligation. But I, I pray, Lord God, for those who are feeling stirred, maybe they're not really that plugged in, or they know they could step up. They know, actually, in a sense, they've got it, should be doing more. Oh, I pray, Holy Spirit, not for condemnation, not a sense of heaviness, or, oh, I, I can't do it. But I, I just pray for your guidance and your direction. Please help us as well, because I know sometimes we fail in this. Help us to help people find their place as well in church. Oh Lord, we give it to you. We thank you for your grace and your favour and your mercy and your love. Oh Lord Jesus, we love you very much. Amen. Excellent. What we're going to do now is we're going to worship God with a song. If you've got children in Megamix, just to warn you, they will be rushing out in a moment. If you've got children in Rigloos, could you please go and collect them? That would be absolutely uh, great. If you haven't decided yet what you're going to give or what you're going to pledge and you think, actually, I'd like, to, I'd like to do that, if you go and grab a form from the tables, there's two, one down the centre of each aisle. And when we take the offering, which we're going to take it after, not in this song, but the next song, um, we won't be coming to the front. We're going to go to the tables in the middle and pop the offering in the bucket just there. So Max is going to lead us in a song. Let's engage with God. Let's enjoy him. And, uh, and the children will be coming back to join us in that. Oh, Simon's just got a, a word to share. Throughout this month of, uh, of praying and fasting and giving, I've really felt God put this, uh, this piece uh, from the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, uh, on my heart. And uh, I feel it ties in so much with this precise moment, actually, in terms of our, our opportunity to take an offering, but also so much of what Paul has just been encouraging us about. And this is, uh, this is the verse. It says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And I really feel God would say to us, he loves to see us when we give everything we can you know, whether that is giving into the offering, whether it is giving in our worship, whether it is giving in our serving, whether it is giving in whatever aspect it might mean. He loves to see us being willing to give everything. And if we do that in our hearts, if we have that attitude, he will bless us beyond our ability to contain it.